Good afternoon. Um, thanks for the introduction. My, my wife, Colleen, my oldest son, Josh, and my twins, Jacob and Jessica, are here with me today. And you know, I feel honored to be here today. This is, this is my first time at Lake E-Rock Church, and this area is kind of special to me. I grew up fishing the Chehalis River, hiking the canyon, and many of the lakes in this area, too. The area is really beautiful, and I just feel blessed to have spent so much time outdoors here. As I was studying today's text, it got me thinking about, you know, what gets people up in the morning? Is it an upcoming vacation? Is it work? Maybe just a day off? Is it an upcoming purchase? What are we living for? Are we living in the moment, for the future, in the past? What keeps us going each day, each week, each month, year, so on? Life can be such a grind and it needs purpose. What does it mean to live out our lives and then die? All right, that's enough questions for now. For me, it started when I was seven years old. I wanted to be 10, double digits. That was huge for me. Life, you know, I turned, I turned 10. Nothing really that great happened. No, wait, 13. I'm going to be a teenager. I'm going to be cool then. No, <laughs> there was some cool stuff, but wait, wait, 16. At 16, I'm going to have my driver's license. I can go to all the cool places that my parents would never take me. Life will be everything I wanted it to be. Well, you know what? I eventually got my driver's license. And, you know, going on my places on my own, you know, going to different places on my own schedule is pretty good. The gas, repairs, insurance, it all costs a lot of money. And then I thought, graduation. I will work full time. I'll, have, I'll be able to make more money. And I'll be in complete control. Well, graduation full time work, it brought more bills. <laughs> And you know what? It goes on and on. The next big milestone, the accomplishment, the next big thing that will make life complete. Well, life here in this fallen world can never be complete without Jesus in our lives. And Paul sets an example here about how to view life and death in the context with the scripture that we're going to look at. Paul has a very focused idea on what living life in this world should look like. Paul shows us what the next big thing is and why we should be looking for it. So let's turn into our Bibles to Philippians 1, 18b to 26. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better." But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. That's a lot to unpack. 
But there's only really two main points in this text, and they both, they both relate to one central theme, that Jesus Christ must be proclaimed by our words, and our, con- our conduct must imitate the life he lived in our life and death. So the two points are, one, living means fruitful labor for Christ. Number two, earthly death brings believers to be with Jesus in heaven. And again, whether in life and, he- whether in life and death, it's all about Jesus proclaiming his name and imitating the life that he lived. Before we get into that, though, Paul is talking about the gospel being preached in both pretense and in truth. Not all these preachers had pure motives, but Paul had joy that the gospel was being preached. God is amazing that he can take any situation and use it to build his kingdom. Paul knew this, and he rejoiced because of it. Paul is rejoicing that the gospel is being preached, but he's in prison. He could be released, or he could be executed. And yet, he's rejoicing about the gospel being preached. Out of all the things in this life that he could be concerned about, his expectation and hope is that he'll not be ashamed. And that Christ will be honored in his body, whether by life or death. Now try to imagine being in prison like Paul was. Waiting for your trial, not having any idea the sentence you're going to receive. Whether you'll be set free or not. So many things are going through your mind. What about my family, my finances, my job? Am I going to be executed or not? These are the typical things that would go through our minds in a situation like that. But Paul, his expectation and hope is that he will not be ashamed and that Christ will be honored in his body, whether by life or death. And that was what it was, sorry, that's what was important to him. Now also, before we get into the main points, I'd like to at least touch on verse 19 and 20 a bit more. Paul is explaining to the Philippians how important their prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit are for his deliverance. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Again, Paul is in prison. A trial could happen at any time. He shows the Philippians his confidence in God, working through him and them. If he's released, he can continue to help the Philippians grow in Christ If he is to stand trial, whether he lives or dies, he is confident that his words at that trial will honor God. So whether Paul lives or dies, he will not be ashamed, and Christ will be honored in his body no matter what. The prayers of the Philippians play a big part in this, and Paul does eventually get released this time around. But does Paul need their prayers for his deliverance? No. God is quite capable of getting him out of prison without their help and prayers. But time and time again, God looks to Christians to work and pray together for his kingdom to be built. And the Holy Spirit is always working through Christians, doing God's work, resulting in these things getting done. Many people still treat Christianity as a private religion, but it's not private. God wants us to work together And pray together to see his name proclaimed, to see his kingdom built, and to be done in his strength and power from the Holy Spirit, not our own determination. So again, Paul mentioned that the Holy Spirit helped in his deliverance. Think about all those Christians having the Holy Spirit in them, all praying for Paul. So Jesus kind of explains this in Matthew 18 and verse 20. He says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. God wants us to work and pray together in his name. If we do, 
Jesus will be there among us. Paul needed deliverance in this situation, and God gave it to him. But let's consider for a moment the ultimate deliverance from our sinful life into eternal life with Jesus. Some of us have received it already, and others, the offer of the free gift of salvation through Christ is still waiting to be accepted. Through prayer and the work of the Holy Spirit, any person can have deliverance from their sinful past, be forgiven from their sins, and go from having a certain death to instead having eternal life with Jesus. This is the best deliverance of all. All right, let's discuss the first point, verse 21 to 24. Living means fruitful labor for Christ. For me to live as Christ, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Now, back in verse 19, it says that Paul needed deliverance. Do you know of someone, or a, do you know of a group of people, a family, or a church even that needs deliverance from something, spiritual or physical? It's easy to leave the work to God because we know he's capable of doing anything. But, God, but if God wanted us to share in his work, the question is, why are we here? Why are we here at church? Why are we even here on earth at all. Verse 22 talks about living meaning fruitful labor. If we aren't doing fruitful labor, again, why are we here? This is a fallen, cursed world full of every evil imaginable. So why would the God who loves us leave us here with nothing to do? What, so we can retire? What would be the point of him doing that? Thankfully, he doesn't do things that way. We are here to do fruitful labor, Proclaiming Christ as Lord, building God's kingdom, leading others to salvation from their eternal destruction. And yet God could do all this on his own if he wanted to. But one of the reasons he keeps us here in this fallen world is to share in his work. Sharing his work is actually a gift from him to us. The Philippians had joy praying for Paul. They looked forward to sharing in the work that God put forth to be done. They saw this work as a gift from God. Paul says, for me to live as Christ. To live as Christ means doing fruitful labor for God. In these verses, Paul discusses whether he will live for a while longer or die an imminent earthly death. And what does each of these mean for him? Whichever it is, he wants it to be for the glory of Christ. What it meant for Paul should be very much what it means for us too. So let's get into what the Bible says about what it means to live for Christ and to die as gain. What does it mean for a Christian to live? Paul makes this really clear. In verse 21, he says to live as Christ. And in verse 22, he says living means fruitful labor for me. Now normally I would separate those points, but these points are pretty much the same thing. Living for Christ and doing fruitful labor for God. For Paul, he has a joy when the gospel is being proclaimed. If God chooses him to live longer, then he can continue to proclaim the gospel to people. He can continue to mentor others and build some of them up to be leaders. So they too can also teach and proclaim the gospel. For Paul, this is fruitful labor for God. 
How can we do fruitful labor, labor for God? How can we do fruitful, fruitful labor that produces a huge harvest? We'll talk about that. It's a shame that so often we look at doing God's work as boring or unfulfilling, hopeless or impossible even. Yes, there are going to be obstacles in this fallen world when doing God's work. Satan does not want us to build God's kingdom. But when we do it by asking God to lend us his power and his strength through the Holy Spirit, his work gets done well. And we can have such joy and pleasure and satisfaction in doing it. Worldly pleasures just will never give us that. That's why God giving us his work to do, or sorry, that's why God views giving us his work to do as giving us a gift, not as giving us a chore. No one will ever find true joy in this world apart from God. I just want to repeat that. No one will ever find true joy in this world apart from God. It's impossible. That is a biblical truth, and it is a truth that doesn't sit well with many people. It's like when I was growing up, I hadn't learned this truth yet. And I kept thinking milestones and accomplishment would bring me this joy finally. I just needed to have all the pieces together, and then life would go smoothly. Looking back at that, I wish I would have listened earlier, and then I wouldn't have had to go through so much heartache and disappointment. I look back and realize that, you know what, I was basically chasing the wind. The joy I was looking for is unattainable, apart from putting my faith in Jesus Christ. On that day when I first truly realized that the Lord had forgiven me for all my sins, and that I would spend eternal life with him, I experienced a joy that is at a different level than anything else. Many of you have experienced this joy too. Can we agree that nothing else is comparable? When we receive the understanding of what God did for us at the cross, Jesus died for our sins and God raised him up from the dead so we too could have eternal life. Is that not true joy? Again, what, com- what compares to that? And yet here we are, and the masses are still looking for joy and fulfillment in all the wrong places. Some people have millions of dollars, wealth beyond imagination, going through relationships like candy, multiple vacations every year, buying houses, cars, stocks, expensive hobbies, selling them, buying new ones on a regular basis, denying themselves no pleasure or material thing. It kind of sounds like Solomon, son of David. But you know what? Late in life, Solomon figured out, and he, he figured it out, and he said this in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 10 to 11. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expanded, expended in doing it, and behold... All was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon, now this guy was the alpha male, if there ever was one. He was denied no pleasure, no material thing, nothing. And yet late in life, he figured out that only the Lord could fill his real hunger, the real thirst of what he needed most. Only God could fill his true needs. Even those who aren't wealthy, 
Personal debt is at a level we've never seen in history. Spending money we don't have to find happiness and joy that will never last anyways. Truly understanding the difference between needs and wants, do they even teach that anymore? And I wish I could say that I have this one all taken care of, but it's a struggle for me sometimes. It's a constant fight inside me. The old me versus the new creation, Jesus in me. Did I really need to buy that? Is this new thing really going to make me happy? Is it going to bring joy to my life? Paul tells us what brings joy to his life and what can bring joy to our lives too. To live is Christ. Living means fruitful labor. Paul had it figured out. He knew where to find the true joy, proclaiming Christ crucified and God raising him from the dead. The gospel, proclaiming it to everyone he could. Paul's conduct in life showed his goal was to imitate Jesus in all he did. Now, I find it so ironic that if every person living today did fruitful labor for God, there wouldn't be one person lacking satisfaction and joy. That's a real biblical truth. Doing fruitful labor for God will bring us the true joy that nothing else can. Jesus said this in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Well, we still do stuff. So what does he mean exactly when he says, apart from Jesus we can do nothing? He means we can't do anything to build God's kingdom apart from God working through us. And that kind of fruitful, or sorry, that kind of work is the fruitful labor that Paul's talking about. To live is Christ. There is no true joy in life apart from Christ. Jesus teaches that so plainly. And the world searches for satisfaction and fulfillment, looking in all the wrong places, bringing little to no joy, quite often making things even worse. And yet the Bible tells us exactly how and where to find it. But so often we ignore it. That's the reality of a fallen world. But as Christians, we're not to be like that. We have God's power and strength to be different. Like Paul, we need to draw power and strength, guidance and conviction from the Holy Spirit and have others pray for us so that we don't have to be trapped in this vicious cycle, this vicious cycle of searching worldly pleasures and material things to bring us joy. Because those worldly pleasures, accomplishments and material things, they aren't ever going to bring it. To live as Christ, and it means doing fruitful labor for God, to build his kingdom, to worship him, and to bring him glory that's due. And it ends with us not being ashamed and having Christ honored with our bodies, and finally having an everlasting peace and joy in eternal life with Jesus. All right, let's, let's move to our second point. To die is gain, and earthly death brings believers to be with Jesus in heaven. I, I personally think about death a lot. Not in a morbid way, really. Well, except when I think about how I might die. It can get a bit messy because, you see, I've, got, I've actually got this structured list in my mind about the worst and best ways to die and what order I have them in. I'm going to spare you the rest of the details. But you know what, though? The thing is, I do think about death quite a bit. And thankfully, I'm not the only Christian who's like that. Paul talks about it too. So I don't feel too out in left field or anything. And I want to be encouraging 
that if you think about death a lot too, it's, it's okay and it's quite natural. And some personalities, even more than others, will regularly think about and ponder death. There's nothing unchristian about that at all. There is a problem, though, if the thought of death brings you this paralyzing fear. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But for now, I'm going to read verse 21 to 23. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Now, do we get, do we get mad at God for taking someone that we deem too early? Maybe that person died before retirement, before they had grandchildren. Maybe before they got married or graduated. Maybe before their first birthday. As I've been saying throughout this sermon, the Bible clearly teaches that we're here to do fruitful labor for God. But each Christian has a set amount of work to do in this fallen world. And when we are done that work, God takes us home. That can be at any age. When our work is done, God doesn't leave us here. Now, if he did, that would be something to be angry about. There is nothing in the Bible that teaches anywhere that you are supposed to live long enough to retire or have grandchildren, get married, get a degree, become a teenager, or again, even have a first birthday. And yet, when God takes a loved one before we think they should go, so often we're angry and resentful to him. When in reality, living in this fallen world is not what God wants for us long term. So when our work is done, he takes us home. And you know what? It's awesome because he does this because he loves us. Praise God for that. A really good friend of mine died of cancer last year. He hadn't, turned, he hadn't turned 40 yet, and he left behind a wife and two little girls. During, during a visit to him, or during a visit, one of our visits in, the, in his last days, he said to me, he said, he said, you know, Rob, he said, whether I die before I turn 40 or when I turn 80, I'm still going to die. But I trust God the same either way. I trust God the same either way. And you know, it's, it's okay to miss those who die, and it's certainly okay to grieve. But when a Christian goes home to Jesus, it should be a celebration too. Their earthly death means their work for God has been completed. And now they are enjoying eternal life in its fullness with Jesus. I've also been to funerals of people who are not saved, where the majority of those at the funeral are not Christians. And I, I do see those funerals as an opportunity to share the good news in Jesus. But you know what? Apart from that, those funerals are, the, are, are one, of the most, one of the most awful things in life that I've, I've experienced. There's no hope. There's no promises. No celebration. No life. Instead, there's confusion, sadness, despair, and death. Our Christian souls struggle in this fallen world. When Lot lived in Sodom, the Bible teaches us that his soul was tormented living there. The rampant sin that was going on tormented his soul. 
in 2 Peter chapter 2, 7-8. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Now, whether or not our communities are as sinful as Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm sure many would debate. But make no mistake, our cities and communities are full of sin and evil. And like Lot, who was, by the way, not the best example of a godly man in the Old Testament by any means, we should ask ourselves, is my soul tormented by the sin and evil that is around me every day? That's something that we need to regularly ponder. We've got to ponder that thought. I've heard it preached a hundred times that if you love this evil fallen world, sorry, if you love this evil fallen world full of sin that much, if you can't let go of it, if you cling to it, then maybe you actually belong to it. Again, that's something, something to ponder. Home for Christians is in heaven with Christ, not here. Think of it as being here on a work assignment. Get your work done and get out. Paul desired to depart and be with Christ. He said that would be much better. His worldly troubles would be gone. His soul, like Lot's, was also tormented from the evil going on around him. He had done so much work for the Lord that he was anticipating his earthly death so that he could be with Jesus. So let's, let's ask ourselves, are we clinging to this world with false hope that we'll find what we're looking for and be fulfilled? Or like Paul, are we desiring to live eternally with Christ? Now, I do want to be careful here because as much as we should desire to depart and be with Christ, it's important to understand that our work is done when God decides. We don't decide when our work is done. God has determined it already, and that timeline can be all sorts of different ages for different people. But as long as God has us here, we should be seeking out the work he wants us to do. I've seen older people in their last years of life, miserable, basically just waiting to die with no purpose, nothing left in them. That is so not what the Bible says about living out our years. If you're alive on this earth, God still has work for you to do. You could be hours away from death. God can and still will use you. If you let him, if you're obedient to him, that is a truth that we need to take to heart. We don't ever become useless if we are following him in truth. Maybe you're not a believer yet. You're wondering if God has work for you. Trust me, the moment moment you give your life to Jesus, there'll be a workload dropped on your desk. And again, when it's done, God will bring you home too. Apart from Christ, this life is all there is. This is crucial in understanding why the believer's view of earthly death is complete opposite to what the, what the world believes. I mentioned earlier that a problem arises when, we, when we, the thought of death brings us a paralyzing fear. Someone who has their hope and trust placed in Jesus for their salvation knows they aren't going to be abandoned by God the moment they pass. Now, I don't want to come across that we should be perfect at this. Being a little bit uneasy about death is fine. I mean, I am. None of us here today have passed from this life 
and experienced heaven, and this life in a fallen world is all we know. Yes, the Bible tells us a lot about heaven, but there's also a lot about heaven that the Bible doesn't tell us. But with that said, if we have trusted Jesus with our earthly life, will we trust him in our earthly death as well? He won't abandon us. He promised us he wouldn't. And his promises are good. In fact, they're so good, they're perfect. One of the scary things that I hear a lot from casual conversation is that the afterlife is basically just a continuation of this life, but without any problems, you know, no, no sickness, no health stuff, no death, no hunger, no crime, that, that, sort of, that sort of thing. Many actually do believe this, and others, others believe will just no longer exist in any form. But the thought, the thought of going to hell is a non-factor when it comes to choosing their beliefs. These types of beliefs about the afterlife are so dangerous. I find from personal experience at work and other conversations too, that if the subject of death comes up, you can tell really quickly who trusts Jesus and who doesn't. People can seem all confident and content at first, but when the conversation gets real and goes beyond the surface, the subject of death terrifies most unbelievers. And make no mistake, it should terrify them. Because without trusting and believing in the promises that God has made to us in regards to eternal life, an unbeliever couldn't possibly have any idea what will happen to them at death. They can only speculate. Whereas look at Paul. Complete opposite. He's desiring to depart. He knows, and with confidence, where he's going and who he's going to be with. Again, in verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. I quite often, you know, I think if Paul were here today, and if he said those words in a public secular setting, they put him on suicide watch. For someone to be full of joy like Paul was at the thought of dying an earthly death is completely opposite to how the world views death. The world doesn't understand that to die is gain. That sort of thinking, the way God's people should think, doesn't work in this world. But as Christians are to think differently, or at least it should be that way. A common teaching among theologians is that if you're not ready to die, then you're not really ready to live. The text finishes up with verse 24 to 26, and it says, But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul understood, that, sorry, Paul understood God's plan for him. God was giving Paul more time to do fruitful labor. God wasn't giving Paul a few more years for retirement or to save up money for a new house or car. Paul was to remain so he could continue to live for Christ and do fruitful, fruitful labor for him a while longer. And in this, Paul was full of joy. Not just because he would live a while longer, but because to live is Christ. Paul's life was lived for Jesus. To do fruitful labor for God, the Bible tells us to do the same. All right, before we finish up, let's see, let's see how else that we can apply this to our lives. So, how do we avoid the trap of earthly things? 
Now, notice I didn't say, how do we avoid earthly things? I said, how do we avoid the trap of earthly things? Meaning, how do we enjoy the earthly gifts that God gives us without letting them turn into idols? How do we enjoy them in a godly way? Things in themselves aren't bad. God also gives us things as gifts too. Same with accomplishments. There's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with desiring to achieve things. Go out, get a university degree. Save some money for retirement. Buy an SUV. Work hard for that promotion at work. But do these things from God's perspective as the leading guidance in those decision processes. In James 4, 13 to 15, James talks of the people who are bragging about their plans for life. Now listen to you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this and that city Spend a year there, carry on business and make money? Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And then in Luke 12, 19, 20, Jesus says this about the parable of the rich fool. And I say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded, of you, demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Don't be these guys. Enjoying life is fine. Making plans is fine. But bring those ideas to God first. Ask, ask what he has to say about them. Ask God for his guidance and direction. Our earthly lives can come to an end at any moment. It might happen a week before your graduation or wedding or retirement. We don't know when. But it's our job to trust God like Paul. Like Paul did. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Are we okay with God's timing? Or do we tell, or do we tell God, not yet. I haven't finished this yet. I haven't accomplished this yet. I haven't made this purchase yet. When we tell God that his timing is bad, we are actually making ourselves out to be our own God. We are not our own God. Let's be sure to give the one true God, Jesus Christ, our complete trust and obedience. Another way to apply this, you know, how can we view earthly death as Paul did? to desire, to choose it. Something that I think is important when applying this to our lives is how do we just share Paul's view on earthly death? How, how do we desire this? Choose it because it's better. This is, one of those, this is one of those growing spiritually in Christ topics, and it's important to understand that it might take some time in our walk with Jesus, but it shouldn't take too long if we are eagerly desiring to grow in him. If we love Jesus and trust him, with our lives, it should be just natural to want to be with him. Paul wanted to be with Christ, and so should we. But as long as God has work for us to do here on earth, let us do it joyfully. And with that, Paul is not saying that we can't enjoy what we have on here, what we enjoy, sorry, Paul is not saying that we can't enjoy what we have here on earth while we're here. He's not saying we can't spend some of the money we earn on fun things. The stuff we enjoy here on earth is also considered gifts from God. But we have to make sure 
that we view this stuff in a God-pleasing perspective and apply that to our conduct. To our conduct. So you know what? For around here, quite a, quite a few years back, I hiked down into this remote spot up in the Chehalis River Canyon. And it was right in the prime of coho salmon season. It was a sunny early morning. It was the end of October. Not even breakfast time. It had rained the day before. A postcard fall day. There was a deep clear pool full of fresh coho salmon. Not another person in sight. And I I cast my spinner just past all the fish. I reeled in slowly. A large fresh coho salmon smashed the lure. And just as I hooked it, I saw it do this little flip that coho salmon are known for doing when they get hooked. And as it turned on its side, the morning sun caught its chrome scales and the flash of silver through the water to my eyes was just blinding. It came splashing to the surface a couple of times before I landed it and then dinner was on the shore. It was a perfect morning and this story doesn't do it justice. It's an experience that any fisherman would dream of. Now, I told you that story Because that morning, God gave me pretty much a flawless, perfect, super enjoyable earthly experience. That was an earthly gift from God to me to enjoy. But also to be careful not to turn it into an idol. And the idea idea is that I would use that experience to worship God, bring him glory, and to share with others what God did for me, to tell others about God's goodness and how generous he is, how much he loves to share his provisions with us. Living for Christ and doing fruitful labor, believe it or not, is also enjoying and being thankful for the great gifts that he gives us. So here's something that you might be thinking. How is enjoying the earthly gifts that God gives us doing fruitful labor? The answer is in our reaction to those gifts. Did we tell others of God's goodness, of what he did for us? Did we praise God and thank him when we received it? Or did we keep it to ourselves and focus on waiting for the next gift? I want to repeat that living for Christ and doing fruitful labor is not a list of boring chores that need to be done. It doesn't mean we're expected to walk up and down city streets every weekend, handing out meals or trying to get people to come to church on Sunday. Although God may ask you to do something similar. But God wants us to use whatever he's given us to build his kingdom. Regardless of our situation or circumstances. In Paul's case, God wanted him to proclaim Christ to much of the known world. He wants us to proclaim God, or to proclaim, sorry, to proclaim Christ in our daily lives. That can be done in so many different ways. It doesn't mean preaching in front of a church for everyone. It can be a simple as sitting down with one person over coffee and just talking about the good things that God has done for you. You know, supporting each other, encouraging each other, telling them why you trust Jesus with your life, your eternal life. Just as I close here, I just, you know, one of the most common questions I find in spiritual conversation and even at Bible studies and such is what is the purpose of my life and why am I here? There are several places in the Bible that, that uh, teach us about this. And today's scripture is a really good one for that. It gives us a solid view of the purpose that God created us, created us for and what he wants us to do. And it's a lot different than what I thought growing up. And it, on top of that, it's not complicated. To live as Christ, doing fruitful labor for God. 
How easy we quite often lose sight of such a simple command. So, you know what? Yes, let's enjoy our lives. Let's do things. Let's buy things. Experience things. But do these things through God's perspective, like Paul did. Knowing that there is fruitful labor to do for him, never taking our eye off the big picture, Jesus Christ himself, who died on the cross and who God raised up from the dead. Only in him can we be forgiven for our sins and through him have eternal life. Only he can sustain us, fulfill us, bring us peace, hope, and that true, everlasting joy that we so desperately seek.